Check. One, two. Welcome to the Mise-en-Scene Weekly Podcast, where we hearken back to our college debate days and pick two movies of the same theme to battle as if water and oil were combined. This week's episode is again Oscar 2023 focused with the Academy's choice for Best Picture with the holdovers squaring up against past lives. So come join Jonathan and Steven for another week of desirably less plot chatter and hopefully more film banter. We are Scene Weekly and welcome to our world. Hey, welcome. That was good. I like the water and oil. That kind of mixed it up a little bit. Yeah, well, that's the point of this. I'm going to run out of things to say eventually, I, I think, at least after another 49 of these or whatever it might be. I think a year in, I, I'm tapped out. But how are you, <laughs> Gotta my keep friend? trucking, though. I'm doing well. Uh, got the day off. Uh, after this, I'm going to run my four miles um, how is for, my, for my running log. Yeah, starting today. So, so as the the people who are who are viewing this or listening on Spotify, uh, the coach would be me. At this point, I guess I did send you a, a running log that was to commence last Friday. What, Correct. Yeah. What, what, well, it, it, no, it said said Monday four miles. That's the start. So today's Monday. I'm going to go off of that. Direct orders, <laughs> following it to a T. So, uh, but it didn't really say the Monday of like when, when you were supposed to start, there was a Friday there. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to start. Also, on the, 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 you, but you did say on Friday, you were going to run your four miles as well. Yeah, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Just a little backstory here. We, Jonathan is a runner. He's been a runner for quite a long time. I'm a former runner. We both ran in college together. Um, and I've kind of gone off and on a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of five K's and then fell off of that a little bit. So I just need to get back into it. Yeah, I mean that's what most people say. Uh, I just want to get back into it. I did. Th- I took three and a half years off, two thousand tenish to thirteen. I want to say. Uh, and then when when was the last day you took off running? I believe yeah. it's November nineteenth, two thousand eighteen. Would be the date. You're a maniac. It might also be November eighteenth, uh, two thousand eighteen. For whatever reason, my brain can't put that down. It's just it's a lot of days. Um, but so you haven't got, you haven't been sick any of those days where you just have to say I got I got to not tie up the shoes I got to I got to stay in today. There has been an, a significant number of days where I said, uh, not really from sickness but just uh, just misery. Uh, I wake up as an old person or I feel like one, and the day gets away from me. Daughter duties, wife duties. And I'm just like, fuck this. Um, and but you know what you do? It takes it takes longer for me to get out the door. I just do it. That's right. You, you just do it. Did you literally wear that shirt to ask that question? No, it just came up uh, organically. It was it was kind of serendipitous that way. Those are those are words um, that you like to use often. So, what are you drinking? What's your is it Colombian? What are we doing here? That's Trader Joe's uh, K-Cup. Can I ask you a question? Oh, K-Cup. My God. We should stop this podcast now. What would We're just <laughs> overboard. So first of all, can I give you a, a discussion on, on coffee as somebody that would not consider themselves a coffee snob, I guess to some extent I am now. We wanted to, the, the K-Cups, that was, you know, what you started with when you're 16 years old, 17 or whatever it might be. I didn't drink coffee then, but coffee inherently can taste pretty poor if you, if you, don't treat it right. Hug it. Give it its 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 
honest do. K-Cup's terrible. Secondly, all coffee, in my view, should be ground, and so none of it should be pre-ground. So you're, you're dealing with your whole beans. And you, before you use it, you should, you should grind it. I have a, a lot of other tools and tips here, but nonetheless, get rid of your K-Cups. Sorry, Keurig. Unless you want to be a sponsor on this show, I love K-Cups. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Especially that... That spice, those spices that you put in at uh, November around Thanksgiving. Speaking of Spindrift, uh, I would very much appreciate a sponsorship. Delectable. Drink this every day. I don't think I've ever had a Spindrift. Outstanding seltzer. Because it actually, I think yeah. it's 17 calories for the, the grapefruit. It's 17 calories. It's got actual fruit juice in it. Tastes real. Doesn't taste like it's going to smack in your ass. Anyway, I went last first, or last. Uh, I went first last week. Why don't you go first this week and discuss? Okay, gotcha. So, so this 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 week's theme is in kind of in line with last week. We are talking about the Oscars. Uh, last week was all about animation and those categories. This week, we chose from a pool of Best Picture candidates. Now, I've seen most of these Best Pictures. I don't know how many have you seen, John? It's more like what I haven't seen. Um, okay. All the trailers. So there's that. <laughs> All right. I've seen Oppenheimer. I've seen Barbie. I have seen, uh, of course, these two movies, The Holdovers and Past Lives. Um, and then I, I, I haven't seen the rest. I don't believe. Okay. Yeah. You haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet? I have seen Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm overlooking that completely. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Oh. So the, we've, we've seen a good bit. I've seen most of them. I think Zone of Interest, I've, I just saw that. Um, but... I chose the holdovers. Um, one because uh, I saw this movie in theaters with my with my parents during the holidays. Nice, and it yeah it uh, it struck a chord with me. It 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 was it's one of those it's one of those best picture nominees that I I, I don't think we really get these kind of movies anymore. And I, I say that it's definitely like a period piece. Um, but I feel like it's not that kind of art house cinema, best picture or grand, you know, epic Oppenheimer kind of thing that typically, you know, always gets nominated. This is kind of, this probably won't win, right? This, yeah. this, 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 this movie is great though. And um, kind of go into the plot a little bit here. Basic uh, plot here is just basic, a, a curmudgeonly instructor at a New England prep school remains on campus during Christmas break to babysit a handful of students with nowhere to go. He soon forms an unlikely bond with a brainy but damaged troublemaker and with the school's head cook, a woman who just lost a son in the Vietnam War. So they're all the holdovers at this boarding school over Christmas time. Uh, the film was directed by Alexander Payne uh, with a Rotten Tomato score of 97%. Current box office is $39.9 million. Um, written by David Hemmingson. This is one of the few Alexander Payne films that wasn't written by him. Um, and I think the other one was Nebraska, uh, but it stars Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph and newcomer Dominic Sessa. Um, Nebraska. Good, good thought there. I haven't seen that in black and white, um, black and white 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. That was a great Bruce Stern. My memory movie is, is very poor. So I love going back and watching movies that I, I knew I liked, but I didn't know why or what it's about. And just, it's like a new movie all over again. Great film. Yeah. Didn't know Payne did that. I, I think The Holdovers is, is Alexander Payne's best film since since Sideways. Uh, I mean, 
that is, I, I know how much the both of us like sideways. So, I mean, and we get to re- we get to reunite Paul Giamatti and uh, and Alexander Payne and amazing performance in both movies. And who? And Paul plays Paul. Paul plays Paul. Paul plays Paul. Um, so yeah, he is a uh, he's an instructor at this boarding school. He's uh, more of a teacher of his subject and not a teacher of his students. He kind of loathes his students. Um, he was a student him them, him uh, at that school when he was younger, and he's pretty much stayed there all his life. Um, yeah, he, it's kind of that that is his life, and nobody really likes him. He's, uh, he doesn't he's, really like anybody else. I mean, curmudgeon is identical to what I would say. I mean, that one word encapsulates everything. I also think um, you should note straight off the bat, the, without having a visual cue here, the movie is, it is a, a period piece at a, a northeastern school outside of Boston called Barton, but the way it's shot, and they went out to painstaking lengths to make this look like you basically had it filmed from an old, early, early camcorder as well with like a green hue, but it's got this it's just got an old feel to it. Like somebody quite literally like unpacked it from a suitcase from many years ago and was like, here it is. This is what happened. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, it has, it has that feeling of those, those Hal Ashby movies like Harold and Maude and being there. Um, it wasn't shot on film. It was shot digitally, but they put, you know, like the, the scratches in there and then even the opening title sequences, uh, they kind of, they like focus features didn't exist back in 1970, but they made a, focus feature logo as well as a Miramax logo that kind of represents the time. I thought that was, that was great. Um, That's neat. That's cool. Yeah. Also with this film, they, they didn't film on any sets. They filmed all on location. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which was, which is not, not really done today unless it's a student film or something like that, but uh, filming in five different boarding schools to kind of get that, 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 that look. Um, and they were freezing. Uh, they basically had to turn off like the heaters because it was the heaters were making noise and banging sounds and, and things like that. So I, I was yeah. watching the I mean, because I, I loved um, the setup. But like when you're, you know, I guess having a podcast and thinking about what to talk about, I I love for whatever reason, I love the like when I saw the gymnasium scene, I started first thinking about the smell of basketballs. But then after the yeah. basketballs went away, I was like, look at the like electricity lines that are just identical to when I was a kid and had a gymnasium in Florida. And it looked so dilapidated and like you'd pull out you, you know what the sound of the locker or the, ro- the locker room is with the children inside. You also know the sound of like the, uh, the, just the entirety of the gymnasium, like the bricks and how it echoes the bricking of the basketball echoes throughout the, the gym. And it just was so similar to my own upbringing that it, uh, it brought back good memories, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, thought I was going to be a professional trans- basketball player for, for what it's worth. Extremely dumb. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> I was four eleven in sixth grade still having that idea. Uh, I quickly went away after realizing that I'm not that great. Yeah. There's only a few Muggsy Bogues in the world and you're, you're not going to be one of them. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, the performance in this movie, the performances in this movie, I mean, it, Paul Giamatti, obviously, uh, Divine Joy Randolph, like I, I had never seen her in anything. I know that she's been in uh, a few TV shows and movies and things like that, um, more as a comedic presence. Yeah. Um, but she really, she really blew me away. It's funny. She, when she got the, the, the script and kind of like the offer to read it, she's like, she never really heard of, uh, Alexander Payne. 
And she's like, huh, I wonder if he's any good. <laughs> and she, they're like, well, and she met him and she's like, have I, have I seen anything that you've done? And he's like, well, well, I did it. I, yeah. She's like, well, well, he's like, well, I did this movie election and she's like, hmm, I've never seen it. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, I also, I also did a movie called sideways. And she's like, Oh, I saw that. I like that one. Wow. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll sign up for this. That is terrific. Oh my God. I, I had no idea. I, <laughs> Cause that would like his genre of film is, is very specific, I would say. And so, you know, you can go, you know, great films, but you can go without seeing all of them or any. Of them, yeah. Um, even when you're an actor and actress. Yeah. He's a satirist. He's, he's, he's got this comedy. That's very, um, it's, I mean, I laughed out loud numerous times during this. I mean, just the dialogue alone from Paul Giamatti. Um, Life is like a hen house ladder short, <laughs> and, and shitty. <laughs> I thought. I, mean, what, what? I thought actually when I was watching this because I know how much you like Paul. Um, I started seeing similarities between your own personalities. Not to say that you're a curmudgeon or, or similar to that, but I just feel like he's kind of you in an alter reality, like a different reality. Like he, he, you and him are the same. Oh yeah, yeah. I, w- I mean, I, w- I wish I had his his acting chops. Then I, you know. Uh, He's more like in this film, he's like, uh, has a hard outer shell, but a soft gooey center. He's very, you know what I mean? Like once you get to know him, it's like, a, because, he's like a cream brulee of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you like cream brulee? Oh, I love it. It's one of my favorite desserts. Yeah. Ooh, delicious. Do you serve it at your restaurant? Yeah. We don't know. We serve, um, something kind of similar. It's a, it's a banana cream pie, but that, that cream pie center tastes like a like the inside of a creme brulee which i could go for that fantastic um but yeah uh dominic sessa obviously never heard of him he's a brand brand new uh new talent uh they basically were casting this this film and they were in you know looking for over hundreds of of actors and, and doing test screenings and things like that and they were also trying to fill in um background characters for for the high school okay uh, for the boarding school and uh dominic cecil was in this acting program at a boarding school at the time one of the boarding schools that they filmed at and they had him kind of test read for it and uh uh he like he got the part which was amazing like this having somebody that's brand new having to act alongside paul giamatti it takes a lot of talent that's tough. I, I can't imagine that to be um, well. I mean, he is an actor and holding his own. He he held his own in it. He did. I, it was believable. I yeah. didn't know. It, yeah, it was believable. I didn't know it was his his first. Has he done anything before this? Like small acting roles, commercials, anything of nothing. That nature. He's nothing. literally just in a boarding school. Clearly of age that is needed. Was he of one of the five boarding schools that they had, they had? Yeah, finished? yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I, I don't. Boy, what a what a ticket that he just punched right there, huh? I I was looking up like the I was looking up like the the best like acting debuts of all time. I mean, his he's got to be right up there with zero resume. I mean, you have Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Oof, yeah. uh, you have yeah. Natalie Portman in Leon the Professional. I, I mean, mean, we don't. I don't. Have to hold, a, this is for a whole another podcast, but um, I'd have to I'd have to do a major amount of research and review what did marlon brando come in first at i wonder but we could i don't know later. 
Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. Ooh, that's another one that I actually uh, terrific um, all around, but I don't like Citizen Kane as much as other people do. Strangely enough, yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a classic. Um, but anyways, we're talking about 2023 movies. Um, yeah, the holdovers. I mean, you you got this 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 trio of a cast um, that are isolated on Christmas. I feel like this is the new Christmas classic. Uh, it's one of the best Christmas movies I've seen in a long time. Um, yeah, and I loved it. It felt almost as if like we, some of the scenes were like rotoscoped. Again, bringing up, I've never talked so much about rotoscoping in my life. It's just, um, I did have one because there was a, a variety of kitchen scenes for which I, I found interesting where Mary, who is the, uh, the, the, the woman who, who lost her child in the Vietnam War. And, you know, everyone's collectively kind of curmudgeon in their own different way but for they're all broken they're all, all broken people different purposes but i i just wanted to share i've never seen like a polite maybe in like some english show i i just haven't seen one a polite kitchen scene like the bear for example it's just like fucking chaos and so i wanted you as somebody who is a professional in your your field if you will as a general manager of a restaurant how did this match up in Mary's, you know, own acting interpretation of what a kitchen should look like? Like, how does this compare to, you know, what you're used to? I'll give you one more. I'm actually the culinary manager. Um, Sorry, that's okay. But it's kind of more more to your question because I work in a kitchen all day. I work with cooks, um, and the reason why a kitchen is so chaotic is a number of things. Um, you're you're based on time, right? So everything has has to get out at a certain point. Um, you fall under very quickly. Uh, everything is supposed to be what we call spec. It has to have you know the right cut, the right ingredients. If something's off, you can tell. Like the other, like last night, um, I was tasting one of our. We have these cornbread cornbread bites, right? Yeah. And I I I, I, ta- I tasted one, and it tasted it tasted off. And I asked the the chef who who cooked it. I was like, "There's no there's no sugar in this. Like you, oh, you no. cut these last night. <laughs> there's no sugar. Oh. Yeah. It, it, if you can imagine cornbread without sugar, it's oh, I, pretty awful. Yeah. The, and he, and he's the, like he's like no no no. I I I put sugar three cups three cups. I'm like, clearly you didn't because there's no sugar in this. I can tell. Like yeah, it, you're chaotic. Yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a the, the, that's why kitchens are like that. It's just it's chaos at every turn. Here's my explanation, and somebody, and that's why I asked. I had uh, I've never seen a kitchen, whether it's in real life, and you and I actually watched a, a kitchen in in London for an extended period of time. But like I I liken it to road rage, and so when you actually are in your car, when things are moving very very quickly, people and there's like some science that actually backs this up. I can't really direct you to the science itself. I have once heard though. That road rage is really predicated on the fact that we're at such a high level of like, uh, you know, uneasiness or like anxiety because you're driving at like whatever the speed limit might be, like 60 or 70. I don't think you really get road rage when you're probably in the 15 to 20 mile an hour zone. But like when you're at 60 or 70, your your decision making has to be a split second, which a kitchen is. And for a variety of different purposes, if you mess with somebody's food, that's a big it's a big deal, especially if this event is happening where, I don't know, you just got promoted to a new job 
you just so happen to be on your 10th year anniversary or something along those lines. It's a significant event and one in which you want your family or your loved ones to actually be happy. And so if things aren't happening in, in the same manner at which you're anticipating, such as being in a car and having road rage, I feel like I liken them to the same. And then in essence, you have as well the people who are trying to be nice like yourselves, the culinary manager and as well as general manager. And uh, you kind of have to like smooth all of that over. It's just I've never seen a, a kitchen scene that's not chaotic. And that's why I think I think I think it, it it's why it's made for such great storytelling because there is always conflict. There is always something that's that's not right that needs to be fixed. That you know, there there people bleed, people cut themselves. <laughs> for uh, what all of those, I things. dislike the bear. I know, hot take, uh, but just don't think it's great. But I'm very much I I I can't I can't watch it after. After working all day in a in a kitchen, the last the last thing I want to do is go home and watch somebody working in a kitchen. Yeah, and reliving the high stress environment. I mean, like, this is just not my thing. All over, but I want to watch other people do it now. <laughs> yeah, I watch I watch Anthony Bourdain travel the world and and eat stuff, but I'm not going to watch somebody. Guy Fieri getting, is your number yeah. one though. You, you really oh you yeah, enjoy yeah his dyed hair. I remember uh, back in college, diners and drive-ins used to dye your hair just like him. Hello, frost tips. <laughs> uh, back to the movie. Uh, yeah, so she's she's the she's the cook uh, at the boarding school. She just lost her her son, so she's grieving. Um, her son was a student at the uh, at um, the boarding school, and he was only there. I, I feel like the story doesn't say, it, but I think she, he was only there because she was a a cook at the school, and he was a minority, obviously, um, but. You know, she's grieving. I mean, that scene when she was in the the, the kitchen at the house party yeah. and she's just breaking down like yeah, that, yeah. like felt that in every every such way. Um, but she's kind of like the glue that holds it together. She's you know she's that person that um, between the two the two guys, uh, Paul and Angus, she's kind of like she's she's there to basically hold it hold it all together you know what i mean hold hold them two specifically together and she definitely is there as the glue um the adhesive for for sure i mean she's the cook and i think any any good cook in any family is is going to be the person whether it's your grandma um like my um my wife's grandmother i mean was the, the glue to the family and you know my mom as well the glue to the family i think if you're the, the yeah. kitchen, you're gonna you're gonna have to be that because everyone has to to eat um i just yeah i thought I don't know. It's a, it's after having a child. Um, you know, I've always been empathetic to families who have lost uh, children along the way. I've you know had family members as well as close people to me, and um, it hits very differently when you when you have your own child, and then you're um, I don't know, almost like it's very difficult to uh, process seeing it on screen, even though the person's acting. It's um, it's very moving and touching, and and to be frank, uh, it's. It, I felt I felt her in the kitchen at that moment breaking down because um, good on her to even show up to begin with. But um, right, you know, people say life goes on, but it really doesn't. Like there's a there's more of a pause, I think. A pause and a piece missing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what she said after that scene, basically outside, when. Paul is basically saying like, I, I, I don't want to watch this kid. I don't want to watch you. And she's like, you don't, 
you don't tell a boy who's been left by everybody that you don't want him. Like, what's wrong with you? You don't tell a boy and, that's been left behind at Christmas that you're aching to cut him loose. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, Mary. And that got to Paul. Like the next day he wakes up and he, he goes and buys the last Christmas tree on the lot. It's like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And he's, <laughs> he try, he's trying to, ha- he's trying very hard trying. to be nice to try to, to, you know, I don't even want to say reciprocation because at this point they're still at, at, at ends with each other, but he, uh, he does wake up the next day wanting to change. Yeah. When he did, so he's like, Hey, we're going to have a nice Christmas. I'm going to buy you some, some presents. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're both I, the same book. And right at this exact moment, by the way, after he, um, it might be right before or right after this exact moment, uh, was probably my favorite cut in the whole movie where he's on the front of, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know where the zoom smash the out zoom, the zoom out yeah. basically where he's like, Angus! <laughs> I was like, that is slick. That was my favorite part of like directing of the entire movie. Cause I, Oh, those, mine too. Those shots, those that was a decision by Alexander Payne. Was it? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, obviously oh. he's he's behind the camera. Yeah, but he. Uh, I think there was a cinematographer behind the camera, uh, but nonetheless, that it was a very. It was almost as as if Paul Giamatti, Paul, was screaming for a dog. At that point, um, <laughs> it just zooms out to the totality of the situation, where just everything is just covered with snow. <laughs> They were probably freezing to death, and he's he's upset uh, with his own life, and it's spilling out. But it was great what, shot, yeah. And what was it? Angus was you know in the auditorium playing the piano. Just yeah. he wasn't doing anything bad. I thought there was somebody yeah, there with he, him too for the longest time until he got up. He's like, "Hey, why are you here? I just wanted to play piano." He's like, "Oh, all right, okay, let's go." All right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great team, man. Uh, and so while they're having their Christmas dinner, he's like, he's t- Paul tells Angus like, Hey, what, what, what do you want? What, like, what, what can I do for you? And he's like, I want to go to Boston. Um, and Mary wants to go to Boston too. She wants to get dropped off and see her sister who's about to have a baby. So they go to Boston and I love, I love the scenes in Boston, especially the scene where they run into uh, Paul's former uh, <laughs> classmate at Harvard. And they basically kind of do like a little improv of, <laughs> of, you know, what's going on. Because Paul's not, Paul's been stuck in his same school forever. He hasn't, you know, he doesn't have any uh, awards or or things to really hang his hat on. He's just been teaching history. And the the man he's speaking to is tenure, just received tenure uh, at Harvard. They they were classmates together. You don't know exactly what happened. And and it seems like there's clearly a um, um, distance between them. They hadn't seen each other in 30 years. And he's, he's standing in front of Angus. Uh, Effectively, no, he's just lying through his teeth how <laughs> successful he is now. Um, well, Angus helps helps the lie, which is which is even better. He's, he sees what's going on. He's like, well, Paul here is writing a book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? What, what, what's the book about? It's about ancient cameras. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to come up with a title, that's Lights a and Magic of the Ancient World. I thought that was actually yeah. pretty good. Um, cause like that's to a T that's pretty much what a book of that stature would be called or titled. Um, and of course the, you know, they want to share information and get back together, but lo and behold, um, Paul really hasn't done anything to any, he's just been drinking Jim Beam. Do you like Jim Beam? I, this is one of the questions I had for you. Curious. 
Are you a Jim Beam lover? I'm not a Jim Beam guy. No, no I do like I do like my whiskeys, but I don't I don't pull for the Jim Beam. I don't mind it. I actually I I kind of enjoy it. I think uh, if I had a choice, I would be choosing something like your your Hudson. But um, is it Hudson Valley? Is it the full name? I don't even remember. But a Jim Beam is not too bad. So I I actually appreciated the fact of you know he he actually went into a liquor store to did a little circling effort to to find his Jim Beam, which. That was one of my favorite scenes right there where he's basically explaining why why he got where his lot in life is. He got kicked out of Harvard. Not only kicked out of Harvard, but he's also in a, a, a summarizing why he was just lying and how that man cannot control him and he's at the same time looking for just booze. <laughs> just like he's he's searching. It's kind of like the reality of like you're a loser, how do you deal with this? Booze. <laughs> kind of um, but also having the conversation with Angus, I, that was probably in dialogue purposes, probably my best, uh, my favorite, favorite scene. Yeah. And, and you think it's just them two in that liquor store. And then all of a sudden you see the clerk behind the, he's witnessed this whole thing. Right. And basically the setup of the joke is like, you know, he, he got kicked out of Harvard because somebody plagiarized off of him and he got caught for not caught for plagiarizing, but you know, it was, it was, a Somebody it was throw a, him under the bus. So he was under the bus, but somebody who had a lot of strings to pull and can pull them or could pull them, um, blamed him for plagiarizing. And then he, he took the fall as a scapegoat and was kicked out, uh, not kicked out for that purpose was kicked out because, because he hit him, he punched him. <laughs> no, he hit him with a car, right? <laughs> That's right. He hit him with a car. But it was, and then the, what the clerk says at the end is like, you know, what did he say? He's like, uh, that'll be you know, five dollars killer. Like <laughs> he called him killer. <laughs> I just love that. Love those little little scenes. But um, yeah, I think that's where that's where Angus and him really bonded was in Boston. He got to they got to see each other for who they were. Um, another another scene that was also dr- drawn from inspiration from the writer the writer of the movie's life was that that scene with the uh, the hooker in the out- outside bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> That actually happened to the writer of the movie when oh, wow. he was seven. And yeah, the, the hooker was like, you can just wait around the corner. That was <laughs> pulling from all those experiences. Of any moment in, in the whole movie, it was so random. Like, it was like, what? Like, what? Yeah, it was, it was very random. What? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I'm not following this. Yeah, I think it was just plugged in there because it was a real life experience. Um, another real life experience was the Cherry's Jubilee scene mm. where that they're at a restaurant and they want to order the Cherry's Jubilee as their dessert. And the waitress goes, I can't, I can't serve that to you. It's got, it's got brandy in it. And Angus Tully is, you know, 18, 17, 18. Um, and they're like, why, why not? That's so absurd. The, the alcohol burns off. Um, she's like, no, I can't do it. So they just order, well, do you have cherries? Yeah, we got cherries. You got ice cream? Got ice cream. They take it outside and eat it. But that that that's kind of something that's also happened in my restaurant before where oh, yeah. we have to tell <laughs> yeah, we have to tell somebody no. Um, and they're like, what? I don't understand. Like, for instance, there's one time when I was working in Denver and uh, this, this these guests come in and the guy wants to order a Long Island iced tea. Sure. We don't we don't serve Long Island iced teas. It's not part of our, our we say it's not part of our bar program, right? It's just not something that we do. And he's like, I <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. What? He's like, okay, 
Uh, give me a shot of gin, shot of rum, shot of tequila, shot of vodka, Coke, and a lemon. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. And give me a large glass full of ice. He makes his own at the table. It was, uh, I believe, a $68 cocktail. I love that. And he's like, I'm going to do it. He's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this myself. <laughs> like, I really, really, and at this point, we're in. I'm all in. Because, like, Long yeah. Island, 20, 25 bucks most normally. Yeah, most. Yeah. Whew. Good for him. Did he leave? Did he get a second? Yeah. <laughs> Did he get a second? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think he got a second. <laughs> can I get another shot of Jen? Can I get another? Yeah, that'd be hysterical. <laughs> I actually have uh before we get to the the ending, which I we should probably um, push towards. I, I do have a quote. I, I don't know if it's even uh, purposeful. Actually, you can go into it. Uh, more of the details. I think it would be it would merit uh, this quote. Uh, so we're going to okay. So basically, the whole idea of Angus wanting to go to Boston was to see his father. Now we thought his father was dead. His mother remarried. That's the reason why he didn't get a Christmas break is because they wanted to have their own little honeymoon without him. And that's why he got held over. Um, but yeah, he wanted to go see his dad and his, we learned that his dad is in a men- mental institution because uh, he's mentally deteriorating, deteriorating. And he, uh, Angus really wanted to see him. I mean, what you want to see, family at Christmas. You want to see how your dad's doing. He has great memories of his dad, even though he's, you know, in a, in a mental hospital. Oh, yeah. um, and that's what we learned. So at the end of the movie, uh, Angus's parent or his mom and stepdad find out that he went to go see his dad and his dad had a few episodes and started getting violent in the mental hospital. And he wasn't supposed to go see him. They're, they're really, really angry at Angus for, uh, for going to see his father. And there's a moment where they confront Paul's character and said, you know, just tell us that Angus, you know, manipulated you to go see his father. And this is where the, this is where he could tell the true history of what happened, or maybe they're not entitled to that history of what happened. And he can tell a version to protect Angus. And that's what he does. He says, I, I, I encouraged him to go see his father and we couldn't get a hold of you. It's during Christmas, and I, w- I thought he should see his dad. Yeah, and he stood up for him, and that, that was a that was a beautiful moment. And then at the end, he walks out, and you know there was a there was a conversation earlier where Angus was like, you know, because Paul has this glass eye, this this or this lazy eye, right? and he's like, what what eye should I look at? And at the the very final scene, he he looks at Angus, and he's like, points to the good eye, and he says, this is the eye you look at. Yeah. The funny thing is, is they they switched the lazy eye throughout the movie. Oh, I had no idea. Did you notice that? No. They yeah. It, at one moment, it would be in the left eye. <laughs> the, the next scene, it would be in the right eye. No idea. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of the uh, the, the movie Robin Hood. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Men in Tights. Yeah, Men in Tights. Right. Where the the mole just moves across the the, the face. Um, but, <laughs> that's hysterical. This, this, I have to ask you this question because this question is something that um, my wife and I have talked ad nauseum in it, and had, I've asked, I don't know how many numbers of people this exact same question of like, um, when you're looking at somebody and you're speaking to them, or even when you're not speaking to them, even like on a Zoom conversation, whatever it might be, but there's a face in front of you and you're communicating in some capacity, 
like what do you look at a nose the left eye the right eye or is there a mixture or mouth what it, what it, what do you do mr steven i mean you're supposed to look at people in the eye right so but is that what your parents had told you I mean, I think that's the that's the right thing to do. You sure like um, the vicinity of your eyes? Yeah, you can dart off. You can kind of move around, but eye contact—that's the—that's the key, right? What do you do? I have very good eye contact with people, but I also have a, an ability, I think, to slip. Um, I I think there's a very good telling point between a person's lips and and their um, that that in some instances are more telling than than looking at somebody's eyes. But with that said. I would I would suggest um, at least for me or my own daughter I, I tend to do all three so both eyes and mouth um, and depending on if things are I think anger is really easy and noticeable on your lips uh, as well as of course for eyebrows but I think uh, on the lip section you can tell anger pretty well and pretty quickly at least I can but I tend to to dart to move between uh, eyes uh, and a mouth and I don't look at it any one way and probably do you notice do you notice when people don't make good eye contact very much uh, for example this happened in BJJ uh, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, a couple times a week this happened in BJJ you know Saturday where a guy just just didn't want to have good eye contact I mean to be honest like my wife as well her eye contact for me is fine but like to other people she's shy so people people can be shy from time to time right yeah I do think uh, eye, eye, eye contact is pretty crucial to communicate with people. But um, I have I have one last thing of the connection between Angus and Paul. I thought was great, kind of like a fatherly figure. But he, um, and this was a little before um, things came to a head, and he stuck up for him. Paul stuck up for Angus. But he was saying that, um, and I believe that they're at dinner when when he has this quote. I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel. And, I, and it seems to, f let me just start over. I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. Uh, I've clearly written this, this quote incorrectly, your quotation, but I feel like that's one of their connecting moments. And I think a lot of people actually do this online now, where it's like they connect with each other in their, their similar hate, hated items, whether it's like politicians or, or the like. But this is at least one of the, the first instances of, you can be bitter and not do anything about it and you're going to look like me or you got your whole life ahead of you. And I think that's really yeah. the, the ember moment for me um, and what the deciding factors are going to be. And, you know, we never find out, but um, they go their separate ways. And that was that. Yeah. My, I think my ember moment was, was the three of them outside with a box of eating cherries jubilee from a box and it's it's the found family aspect of it they all found themselves they're they're taking this this thing that they couldn't get and they they created it themselves and they're trying to enjoy it together they light it on fire um, but it just it was just so poignant of of what the movie was about of them kind of finding finding the, their family and and embracing the taking something that they can't have and and making it their own whether that be the cherry's jubilee
I don't like cherries. Do you like cherries? Not a cherry guy, unless it's in a Manhattan. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan. Just don't. Yeah. Um, one thing I forgot to do is actually score our movies. Not that they were there yet, but I have yet to score. So I guess we'll have to do this live. So, am I up? Am I next? Are we here? Any closing thoughts on this? Um, I think. I mean. Like I said, I don't think it's going to win best picture, but I think I think Paul Giamatti is going to take the best actor award. Yeah, it's between him and Killian Murphy. Uh, I feel like, but I think Paul. I think Paul deserves it. Yeah, because you are Paul. He's your long lost father. This ultimate reality, or you're maybe he is you, and you are him. Um. Did you did did you feel this movie was a little bit um, not schmaltzy is the word, but I feel like it never crossed that line. I will give you my honest opinion, which I have a good many on this movie at the very end when we rate this. Got it. I think okay. um, to be expressive in the positive or negative side is probably going to just detract away from the end result of us at the very end. We can actually speak our minds and then we can also go into like what we think is going to win. And I think that's maybe what we did last week of like, what do you think is going to win? We're like, you know, that's, that's a fun conversation to have. And it's very, very different than, than this podcast inherently. Like what is our desire? What do we want to watch? Uh, which was actually quite difficult in our understanding of like what we're going to be choosing primarily because Steven has watched everything under the sun this year. I tend to wait a little bit until it comes out on for streaming. Going to the theaters is a little more of an effort uh, uh, from my perspective. And the second it comes out, I just pretty much buy all the movies. Uh, With that said, I I just haven't had the time to to see all of them yet. So of course I am biased. Uh, Of course. Yes. And I will say this, I have to start. um, I chose past lives. And I did watch um, about half of the movie before I did choose it. But, you know, watching the trailers uh, and I did see Barbie and Oppenheimer and Killers um, of the Flower Moon. And so I just wanted to kind of choose something that was, I guess, more to my heartstrings to some extent. My wife is Korean American. I do have a Korean American daughter. And so I am clearly white. Uh, I did live in Korea from 2006 to 2007. I speak a very small amount of Korean. Um, and I've seen a copious amount of Korean cinema as well as uh, Korean drama, as you might imagine, having a family um, that is Korean in, 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 at nature. So while I, I will not speak in any way, shape or form for um, Korean culture, I'll try to do my best to represent it. Um, and I have a nice scarf here that I brought from Would you say your, your Korean is basically on par as uh, Arthur in the film? A little better than Arthur. A little better? But not, okay. not great. Um, I would say, yeah, his speaking wasn't too bad. Um, his speaking wasn't too bad. But Arthur, Arthur is uh, one of the main characters. And I'll, I'll just give the, the synopsis here. So um, it's a very succinct and easy to tell story. And one in which I would say from the outset seems like it's been done many times before, but it's just done in a very different way. And I think it's, it's been done in a very Korean influenced way, which I appreciate. Um, oftentimes in Korean cinema, you don't have things that are prepackaged like in an American cinema where things always end up well, or end up in a good light. Uh, and oftentimes 
there could be in a, a completely disastrous light, but you still feel good at the end, even if that's a, a rumbling in your stomach, maybe um, hearkening back to your own insecurities. But with that said, directorial debut from Celine Song. She's a Canadian, a Korean Canadian uh, uh, artist. She has uh, made two plays before this, as well as uh, had her hand in a, in a sundry of other things. But directorial debut, you know, I don't, I don't know many. Oftentimes, you have such a good movie. And your first go, and just as you know, um, what's his name? His, his real life name? Dominic Sessa. Okay, yeah, just crushed it. Um, but with that said, Pete, yeah, she cr- yeah came out last year. Drama, ninety six Rotten Tomatoes, seven point nine on IMDb. Um, these numbers are always moving, but the twelve million budget, twenty six million box office. But it's about Nora who, uh, Nayoung is her name in in Korea, and oftentimes when when people move um, from Seoul or, or anywhere in Korea. Like my wife, um, she goes, she has a Korean name and as well as um, my daughter has a Korean name, but we, we call her, well, we interchange. But with that said, um, she goes by Nora uh, when she's, she moved and emigrated from Seoul. And she left when she was there, a, a man, uh, Sung, who at the age of, I think there were 12, 12 more yeah. or less broke up with, you know, a budding relationship, if you want to call it that, or maybe even one that's more deeply connected. But they're two deeply connected childhood friends. They're torn apart after Nora is immigrating uh, from South Korea. And decades later, they're reunited for one fateful week as they confront destiny, love, and the choices that we make in life. And again, it's, it's a very simple structure. But I think that the telling scenes of throughout, in the commonality throughout, is... And what I appreciated probably more than anything is the emotion that's being provided to the viewer without words oh it seemed i don't i don't know many movies i thought i thought i'm still thinking about this i don't know many movies that are like this where you you in in there's dialogue of course throughout like when they're at the restaurant when when um everyone's speaking to each other or i guess more loosely and uh just when the silence happens and I just think there's so much telling uh, moments in between the silence of words um, that is just the looks that they give each other vocal than actually speaking, which we'll get into in a second, but it's, I still can't believe it's her directorial debut. But with that said, the uh, there's three, three parties, the the two 12 year olds who effectively broke up um, and Haesung, he is left in Korea and she goes, immigrates to the United States, and eventually wants, he wants to find her again. Um, doesn't know why. There's no reason. But she had since gotten married. And uh, along the way, in essence, um, they drifted apart, in short, for whatever reason. And, and Sung still had very deep um, emotional connection and wanted to see, I guess, where that, where that really sat. Um, that's that's the, the bit of it. And I think what, one thing I, I want to uh, point out. I love when Korean cinema does this. Um, there's always, and I, I am a writer myself and trying to complete a book right now that actually kind of encapsulates what the effort is here. But uh, Inyan, I don't know if you ever heard of that, but Inyan. I hadn't heard of it until this 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 film. Is, is that a pretty common yeah. known thing in Korea? It's common, but I, and I want to start off immediately with this because it's it's, it's common, but it's common in the inverse. The common in the inverse means like, um, like if you broke up with somebody, you would, you would say, 
uh, Inyan Anya, which is like, we just didn't have Inya. Uh, and, and, and it's like, we didn't have this. So therefore it didn't work. We did our past lives, which in effect is that the Inyan, you, you see somebody on the street, you maybe hadn't seen them in your entire life or you have, and you have these past lives or this past collective consciousness that, you know, you, you touch each other and, and it brings, brings that back. And so the whole gamut, the whole run of this movie is basically the ideology or the idea that people do have these past lives and are they meant to be together? That's really what it comes down to. But the, I've never seen Inyan like in this capacity. I could have probably. She used it as a pickup line at first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I've never seen it like this. So it's, it's an interesting, uh, I liked it because it's a very different one. P- typically speaking, when people break up, they're just like, Inyan, Anya, we just didn't have, we didn't have it, um, which I appreciated. What did you think? Yeah. The movie as a whole and, you know. I'll start with the, because I, I watched it a few months ago and then I watched it again this week for um, for the second time. And watching it the second time, like, I noticed a lot of different things. Like, that very first opening scene, I don't know if you remember it, but yeah, yeah. it's told from the perspective of other people sitting at the bar, looking at this these these three people and kind of wondering what the relationship is between each each person. And that's kind of like you as as a viewer, just if, if you like to people watch, like kind of like, oh, what, what's, you know, what's their relationship like? What's who's who's with who? Is this a business thing? Is this a romantic thing? Like you don't know. But the thing is, everybody has a story. These three people have this amazing story that nobody else will know, but they can speculate on it. And uh, ever do that yourself where you are in a in your restaurant and you try to speculate that these people sitting together at a table where you think, man, how did they get together? And then do you ever speculate with the staff? Be like, you be that person. I'll be, I'll be the woman. And we're going to talk about it. It's like, do you ever? Yeah. 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 You, you definitely have those moments of, or some, some kind of things of like, there, there was this one, one guest, this one uh, lady who would um, bring in a different gentleman every time <laughs> she, she came to the restaurant. <laughs> We kind of narrowed that speculation down a little bit, yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, I like I, I like I like doing that. I, I mean, people watching like at the airport is like one of my favorite things. Yeah, um, it's you know where are they going? What's 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 their life like? Um, and that's kind of like what this movie is about is is setting up. Like we're we're seeing these three people and you know not knowing what that that relationship could be um, because Nora is you know kind of in a very intense leaning over conversation with uh uh Sung and you have Arthur that just kind of just sitting off to the side being very chill about the whole thing that you know he's sitting at a bar while these two past people uh you know childhood friends childhood little romance are talking in a language that he can't understand and he has no idea what they're saying let me let me pause you there first of all now we're, we're getting into the details of, yeah. of what actually happened or discussions and things of that nature. And this is also like the very end of the movie, more or less. Um, but with that right. said, let's take a, a few steps back. But I, I will say this. Could you could you ever do that as the husband? So the husband, I, I'll just give the explanation. I'm hanging out I'm in New York. My long lost love from when I was 12 years old is looking for me, puts a post out for my, my former name before I, I changed my name, had a difficult time finding. And then you, you find that post because somebody leads you to it. 
you guys start communicating. And so literally what you were talking about and what you're focused on is your, I mean, can you really love somebody at 12? Who knows? But let, let's, let's just say you can. What do you do in a situation of your wife constantly talking about the, the former love and it appears that he still is in love and wants to, to, to meet in New York to visit you for a week? What would you do? That's a tough question. I, I mean, I think what I would do, I would hope if I was put in that situation is the exact, exact, exact same thing that Arthur did was be kind of hesitant about it, but be very still cool and respectful of like, Hey, they haven't seen each other in a long time. Me, I, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd hope if, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough Tough question. What about you? I, I would hope I would do the same thing. And I myself consider my, I, you know, I do write books, even though people don't read them. But like, I have that curiosity of like, the same thing Arthur said is, I'm a writer. We're both writers. I couldn't <laughs> write this. Like, this is so romantic and so purposeful of this guy who has been waiting with his heartstrings being plucked and looking for you searching can't find you because he has a different name decides that he's going to put a post up eventually does find you wants to come to america still has the heartstrings being pulled and here you are married Ooh, that hurts right let's see let's let's just take my 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 bat out and see if i can hit a baseball even though i hate baseball let's see what happens here i i uh it's an interesting question and one i i have thought about I think I would I would try my best to be as cool as possible. Like what 12 year old is going to be taking away like your wife? Do you know what I mean? Like you've been married. For, I think they were married for seven years when this first started. I don't know the exact when he did come, but like seven years. I, I'm I'm not afraid of any 12 year old. It's, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Uh, but he shows up and he's this tall, handsome, <laughs> towering presence of a Korean man. And he's good looking like Arthur's got to be a little bit like, oh, holy shit. And that was, by the way, the, the first time this is that guy in the kitchen was the first time the, the actress even met. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they didn't. I didn't know that. They never talked to each other. They knew nothing about. I, I mean, I'm sure they knew about each other, but they, that was the first time face to face that they had met because uh, Celine was like, I want this to be as awkward as possible, probably. Um, but I, I like moments in film that you learn that later and you're like, oh, that that's probably why I just was so interesting or like it's kind of yeah it's kind of awkward there was more because you get into that character and then you meet and you're you still are that character to some extent um but i felt to take a take a step back the indian is prevalent throughout but also what is is like wind chimes the the musical um instruments that are used throughout are so tied to the emotional value and emotional complexity of the movie itself so you're having to deal with past lives, what would, where would we be if we were together? Which at the very beginning of the movie isn't said, but at the very end of the movie, when they're going back to that scene again, you actually get to see what they're talking about. And very much um, they're talking over Arthur's head uh, and, and directly in front of him in Arthur's face. And so uh, he, uh, while Haesung did apologize after to say like, you know, I, I can't really communicate. Uh, very well. I found that moment. I don't think that would happen in Korean culture. Uh, but I, who am I to say? I just feel like the Korean 
Is that too impolite? Yeah, they're ve- it's yeah, it's impolite. It's it's very respectful culture. I don't think that would happen. But nonetheless, I I also found it uh humor the humor in this that he <laughs> the actor or him acting he didn't speak very good English or like extremely limited, which actually directly ties back to when uh, Celine was in the East Village at a restaurant and she happened the same exact situation happened to her where um, she sat down uh, with her, I believe, husband or boyfriend at the time and an ex-boyfriend was like right next to her. And they were communicating just as they were doing here. So this actually wow. born out of an idea that happened to her. And she felt like there was like the, these past lives, like what would have happened, which we all probably do to some extent in the situation. But he actually, I, I have not to stereotype, but I've, I've never seen uh, any Korean in real life actually not speak fluent English if they went to even a mid-tier university like in and never stepped foot in um on American soil so like it was it's a rare occasion and actually in real life he does speak fluent English in three other languages (laughs) in German I believe yeah (laughs) I was like that's pretty funny but I I think um and I want to go back to the original point uh as well as something that you've said but and to transition it to to more of a pointed angle here, but like there was a quote that um, it, it's useful, but like if you can leave something behind, you can gain something too, which is kind of um, almost in essence what Heisung has, has been telling her throughout the entirety of it. She left in a very cold manner, just as like I'm 12 years old and probably don't even know what love is. And, and when they're in Korea, he was very seemingly distraught. I think, um, I remember she was on the stairs going up or he he was on the stairs, but there was an angling difference of one was looking up to the other uh, and she was just like, I'm, you know, I'm leaving. got to do this. And he was seemingly distraught and would continue to be distraught for the next 20 years or so. Um, but it's interesting. What would you do if a, if a version of this came back to you? Do you have any 12 year old loves? Uh, not that I can really remember just because I, as a kid, every three or four years I had to move. So I was kind of used to that, uh, like saying goodbye to my friends. Um, and it's weird, you know, when, when, when Facebook came out and it came to the masses, uh, you'd get those like friend requests of people that, you were like friends in elementary school with, and you're like, whoa, I haven't thought about you in decades. I've like, been. what? Like, you know what I mean? I, I, that's, that was kind of a phenomenon back in 2008, 2007, when Facebook was, you know, getting widespread. And this is kind of when they kind of first reconnected and started doing their like little Skype calls and stuff like that. So did you ever get those like <laughs> random Facebook requests from somebody from second grade? I did. Yeah. Um, I actually followed up with a few of those as well, just to see what people are doing. So, um, yeah, I actually had um, best friends from from middle school uh, that I would actually reach out to. Chris White, holla, holla at Chris White. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, I mean, from yeah, from all of middle school, we were we were very good friends. Played basketball together on the same team, and uh, just clutch three-point shooters we were just we would like even now i bet we we would crush in a three-point competition went to like 
summer camps together and things of that nature. Yeah, but he was one of those. And we still actually communicate now. Manchester City fans, so support. There you my go. Friend. Um, but yeah, I had have I have had others besides Chris that I met them and they were disasters, like complete disasters. And that's how I, I perceive this to really be because my di- the difference in my own personality from 12, well, not personality, but who I am, what I know from 12 until now is drastic. So 30 years. Of- yeah. That person doesn't exist anymore. Crystal. Crystal. Can't remember her last name. She got me for my birthday in seventh grade, a no fear t-shirt. Thank you, Crystal. Love the t-shirt for a long period of time. If she came into my life, I would be like, I like I, I could not give two fucks, um, nor would I. <laughs> I wouldn't even be really that interested to see what this was about. But if they're nice about it, I would probably have the conversation, entertain it. Who knows? But yeah. I want to say one thing. There's this ember moment or mise en scene or something. I don't know what this is tickling. And it's one of my favorite quotes of I have I have a few favorite quotes, but there's there's two quotes in one. And their husband and wife are, are sitting or lying down, snuggling. I'm not a snuggler, so I don't really understand the snuggling part, but it was very powerful when they're discussing you know, Arthur saying, I, I I don't I don't speak Korean. I wish I knew you better. This is like a dream come true if you were to be a writer. Who could script this? And um yeah. he goes, Do you know you only speak in Korean when you talk in your sleep? And I myself have uh noticed this with my own wife. Um she oh, wait, wow. in situations, you know, she doesn't she didn't speak English until she was like fluently, like until she was eight. So she was in like ESL and, and, uh, you know, brought up by her grandmother. But, um, I found that fascinating because it's like, it's so true. Like your first language is going to be that first instinctual, um, notion, but like one in which I didn't understand his reply though. It's like, he said, um, he said that and she's like, Oh, you, you want to understand me when I'm dreaming? And he said, yeah. And I was like, well, fucking go learn Korean. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, if you want to, if if this is such a yearning for you to uh, to desire to to understand, almost a decade of being married, your wife, go learn it. What are you? T- what are we talking about here? If it's affecting you, that anyway, that was one of one of the things. But- That's a good point. I, I didn't think of it that way. I thought it was very, uh, it was very kind of. He had this yearning. Uh, to understand her at a deeper level that he, he never will, but he could. Right, just go learn Korean. He could. I have a very pragmatic mindset and maybe uh, I have taken a 23 in me and it did say that I was 99.9% uh, greater Neanderthal genes than everyone else who has ever done a 23 in me. That's neither here nor there, <laughs> but I will say this instantaneously. I had zero empathy and I'm like, that's your bad. If you want to get closer to your wife, for example, I'll give you a great example. There's Rosetta Stone, bro. Yeah. I'll give you a great example. I, four years ago, um, I'm a Guinness lover. And so my wife had, had been drinking Guinness if, if she were to consume alcohol from time to time. And for whatever reason, she decided that she wanted to transition to, to wine. I didn't, I didn't drink wine. And I know you know this story, but else yeah. not. And I wanted uh, to understand her better. And I also wanted to, to satisfy, you know, her emotional just you know i wanted her to have a, a good glass of wine when it came down to it 
no clue on wine. What did I do? I created the largest spreadsheet that basically was a, a sommelier <laughs> course that I created myself. And then I filtered over four years um, and t- tried with an Excel, Excel file, like rated whites and reds to figure out what her favorite. And we figured out Northern Italian reds are our favorite, specifically Barbera's, if you really need to know. And then uh, before, I guess that's second, but first would be Brunello's. Always changing. But I then took the next step, went to get a WSET certification for sommelier level one. I'm taking level two here. You got take the step. What are you talking? Go learn Korean. It affects you. That's the thing. That's the thing about about you, John. Is mm-hmm. <laughs> Jonathan is? I feel like if you're gonna do something, you're you're, you're gonna do it. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna run and compete, I'm gonna run every every day. If you're gonna if you're gonna try and learn about wine, I'm gonna I'm gonna be certified sommelier. <laughs> like that's what I'm gonna do. I mean, when you say it, it sounds kind of dumb, but um, it's yeah. If you're gonna do, there's no half measures. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of no half measure, here is a no half measure quote. And this is this is my favorite. And this is actually something that I think about. I've thought about almost every single day since watching this movie. I watched it in, in, in like two one hour periods. But um, I think Arthur said this. I don't even remember now. That I think about it. Maybe. Anyway, the two, the, the married couple saying it's like planting two trees in one pot. Our roots need to find their place. I think of this in the same way of two pictures in one frame, in that you have two, two plants in one pot, one life, effectively. And so you're growing together. And so while you, you may and may not get on each other's nerves, roots, overstepping, you're figuring it out, but you're going to find your way as long as you're in that one pot together still. And I always think of, and I've always thought of it, and this is a much deeper metaphor example that they provided that I'm just going to start ripping changing to my liking but i always thought of it as we each are our own picture frame and so like the frame behind you and the frames here like let's say our we have our own movie poster for example and then we each have like you know women on the verge of a nervous breakdown here as well as old boy here and then you would have and that's myself and my wife or your spouse or whoever it might be relationship who, who what have you and then beyond that is another frame which is in effect um the one pot where you each have your own life in this frame, but you're you're collectively working together. The root makes a lot more metaphorical sense. I think everyone can understand this. I pretty much am just giving the dumbest example possible. But that's what I've been using for 15 years, and now I just have to use something else. But it was such a powerful <laughs> moment. And I, I, I loved it. Almost one where I bet they would use that in like therapy. Like if you were to if you were to be a therapist and you'd be like, you know what, Joe, you know what I think about this. You two need to be more like two pot, two two plants in one pot, and I'd be like, "That's that's good shit, brother or sister. That I, I can get with that. I mean, that's amazing, right?" Is your is your therapist like a southern lawyer that <laughs> <laughs> smokes a pipe? I don't, <laughs> you know what I think, Marsha. He's got a seersucker suit on. <laughs> yeah. Maybe why? Um, Murder. She wrote. Uh, bo- yeah, boss hog. Uh, anyway, yeah, boss hog. Um, that that was, I would say, my, one of my favorite parts. And I again, the, the simplicity of the movie itself is is um, it's a simple notion of love or the desire of of what love c- could be. But the Korean cinema and Korean influence is like so strong. Where to get to the the absolute end, and I'll describe the ending in a second. But um, he thinks, you know, 
he's going to hit it out of the park here. He thinks he's going to come back and, and explain his love. And uh, did you kind of did you quiet. think that they would that she would run off with him? Or do you want to know what I thought? Yeah, I thought for sure there, there's no running off. Like the the more it has, the more it it moved time wise. I was like, and maybe this is just me being mm, structured and understanding Korean cinema, but also just cinema generally. I was like, if if you if you do the running off, this movie sucks. You're pissed. Right. You're really, really fucking angry. And I think you would re- it would be I don't want to see that movie. I don't want to see that movie in any way, shape, or form. I've seen that movie before. Yeah, exactly. And I so trite. I, my guess was it, it wasn't going to go that path. And even at the last scene where they're staring at each other for what seems to be five minutes while he's waiting for an Uber to, to go back to Seoul, there's you think like, are they going to kiss? Are they going to do like there's something? Slight movements in the background, like you know, there's little things. Moving here and there, not much sound actually existing, and uh, you're wondering. But even before that, and I would say the 30 minutes before that, even up until that point, I didn't know how much time was left at that point, but I felt like it was the ending. I, I w- <laughs> I've seen so many Korean movies. Old Boy is one of my favorites. And I was like, if you've ever seen I Saw the Devil, or like uh, there's twists in movies like Ajoshi, Shilmido, and like things are not always happy uh, in any way, shape or form. And I, at one point I was like, is he going to murder her? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> is this, this going to turn into something that I, cause I didn't, I watched the trailer, but outside of that, I didn't, I didn't, I don't look at anything to do with the movies until after I watch it. And I was like, Korean said, this could clearly go through uh, to a different type of mentality here. I was like, let's see what happens. And at that point I was kind of annoyed uh, at, at Hey Sung, like, how dare you come into somebody else's life? Uh, after, like, you're 12. Like, what kind of relationship are you going to have? He, he even, like, the way that he, like, walked around with his backpack looked like he was, a, like, a school kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was still kind of stuck in that. He was still that 12-year-old. He was, he was definitely stuck. But there was, there was a – and speaking of that, I think that moment was actually when they were going to the statue, um, the Statue of Liberty, where they, you know – have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty, John? I have. And uh, if you've just waited one second, you would have heard the story. Jesus <laughs> Christ. So we, uh, my wife is from New York. And so she had never been to the Statue of Liberty until we got together. And I um, wanted to you know, go to the Statue of Liberty. So we did. We took my family. And I, I always found that interesting because this is so common with New Yorkers who had overwhelming odds. If you ask a, new, like a, a proper New Yorker, they haven't been to the Statue of Liberty. And nor do they even. I thought, yeah. Like it's not. I was going to ask that question. Like, do you, is that a thing? No, it's not. This is very prevalent in New York, and people actually like not going to uh, while married or you know whatever it might be. Uh, like I, I have no, like, or just not even having a driver's license for that matter. But I found it uh, very telling, and this is like what Celine did really well, and and I guess everyone in collectively, and the statue pictures where he wanted to take a picture. And she, like, Nora had to smile. She was going to smile, but she couldn't smile too much. You know? It's uh-huh. like, if she smiles too much, yeah. and that gets back to my husband, is, does that become a thing? Do you know? And I was, yeah. it was interesting, because she first started smiling a little more, and then she, like, lessened it. And I was like, ah, it's interesting. Secondly, um, my wife also didn't smile in any picture whatsoever until we met, and I wasn't the, the I'm not making her smile, but... Um, 
it's very common in Korean culture not to smile at all in, in pictures. Um, I didn't know that. But she, she, it was, it was funny. And it also was funny when she brought up on her phone the image of their wedding day, <laughs> and he and zooms in <laughs> to like crop him out, the husband Arthur. Yeah. I was like, that's fairly aggressive. And that's where I was like, I don't think I like this uh, situation anymore. But what other what other authentic like New York like the apartment that they had? Do you, did that feel a little pretty authentic? For writers, no. I mean, when I first moved to the city, I uh, I wasn't making I had I had nothing to to write home about. Did you see that apartment? Yeah, I saw most of your apartments. Okay. That, that first, first apartment was like four by eight, basically, or like, no, it, could, it was a little larger than that. But you opened a futon and, and the futon was the whole room. And I also had a Boston Terrier, RIP Rocky, um, who's there with me. And so it was, uh, to say the least, it was a fascinating endeavor. But that was $800 a month when I first moved, uh, 2007. And what do you think that, that apartment is now? I didn't get to see too much of it. I did see, you know, they had the video game scene where she came home in the kitchen. First of all, if you have any sort of hallway like that, you're, it's an, ex, it's a fairly expensive place, but I don't know if it's a one bedroom studio or two bed. <clears throat> if I had to guess those, of course, are going to change drastically. It looked like a one bedroom, at least three grand at minimum, but three grand for writers. That's a, it's a pretty intense, I would say. It's a pretty intense setup. But anyway, I love the fact that they also made fun of the, like they, they carried over um, the psycho was repeated over and over and over. Like you're ridiculous for thinking that like you psycho. That's another, another one that I wouldn't, I would never have thought of, but my, when I went to go teach in Korea uh, in 2006, my very first day teaching, I used the word crazy and the whole class went ape shit like in laughter yeah in laughter and i was like either i am the funniest person on earth and i found one word to utilize or something is i'm missing something here but it turns out yeah if you if you uh uh it's like pretty not terribly offensive but like michanya um if you were to use that like are you crazy uh it's like it gets an effect on children you shouldn't be saying the children but uh children or even like your spouse or something along those lines like calling somebody um, for different purposes, like a psycho, um, it's very, it's, it's very common, um, and fun. It's like, it's kind of cute. What about, um, I was wondering when they, they kind of first met, uh, in New York, it they gave the hug. They didn't really say much, but they were walking off and they just kept saying, Whoa, yeah, I think, <laughs> but it meant different things. Yeah. I would say that's pretty common too. Um, just the, the gathering of information. If you haven't seen somebody in a while, um, that happens a lot when, because I I'm around um, like Koreans family and, and or otherwise, but Koreans are very respectful in the sense of like I know they're they're Koreans and Koreans, but like they're talking. He was talking about Arthur and how Arthur likes Yuke Jang, which is a, a very uh, like you're gonna get into the good graces of a Korean family or a Korean relationship if you, you like Yuke Jang because it's a very pungent stew and. Pungent in the sense like it's red pepper, heavy with mushrooms, delectable. But it's not something that if you go into a Korean restaurant and uh, you're just a white person and asking what what should I order, you know, 
like kalbi or bulgogi or like you know torsat bibimbap or something like they're going to give you one of those three um like i love mulnamyeon which is like strange but that yukejang is like i've ordered it once or twice i've had it a ton at home but it's it's um it's like grandmother stew for most and so the fact that he did love it i bet change the perspective Heisung like immediately because Koreans are if they see you're embracing their culture are so like so warm very very warm but it was nice I like that that moment um yeah so I guess I I have just a few more things um what I have a question for you hit me I mean maybe maybe you know the answer maybe you don't but like she was describing to Arthur uh, hey song and she just said he's so korean what is what does that mean yeah korean men um and i'll i guess i can use my wife I, we we discussed this in like in particular and i think most cultures they have their own like tie to romanticism and like you and your particular upbringing but i think there's oftentimes like a korean men who are were very korean for whatever that might be uh, but also have various ties to maybe the romantic side of like things should end up perfectly um mm-hmm. and i think the the differences in the 1950s korea and the 1990s korea and even like the 2020s korea is very different um i can speak from you know just being in, in families that uh i could see the transition and I will say, you know, I would say now you'll see more often um, men who are in the kitchen helping out uh, and helping out, helping out their spouses. Whereas I think in before that, I would say it's things are more delineated. And I think that's what she was getting to. But also with that saying, I myself am I'm married to a Korean, but I'll, she's married to a, a Norwegian or a white dude. And these are her words. I mean, she could be more open. Um, she has been in relationships with in the past but she could be more open with me than she can um just about emotions and feelings um at least this is according to her she could be more expressive it allows her to be more expressive and i think that's what she gets with arthur at least in this movie it it seemed like that um but i think that's what she was getting at i could be completely wrong though okay no i like that and i also found it found it interesting that you know, they, they were having their, their Skype calls and, uh, you know, and she basically told him, Hey, we have to, I have to stop doing this. Yeah. I have yeah. to go kind of like live my life. And literally like the next scene she meets Arthur. Yeah. that, And he's, he's, he's kind of like the, uh, the rebound, yeah. the, the marriage of convenience almost. Right. Like she got a green card. That's right. She got a green card. They can split the rent and, you know, split some of the costs. It made sense, you know, um, but it, they were both writers. They're both writers. They had a lot in common, and and while a rebound, some rebounds can end up being good. You know, I think this yeah. this one did. You know, I think the writing aspect helped immensely. They were at a retreat, and they could learn from each other. And he's the antithesis of you know, Hayseong to some extent. Um, but I think, and just to segue to something different to some extent, I like the fact, by the way, that Nolan and Scorsese both said about this movie that it was their favorite movie of this last year. Oh, did they? They did. Yeah. And I think they probably just said that because they didn't want each other to win. <laughs> like put the the emphasis somewhere else, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
but I, I have a, I have a question. I have a couple questions. So, how do you think she was feeling at the end? Because after he took his Uber and they stared at each other for about two minutes, she goes and cries to to Arthur, her husband, and they're on the what seems to be steps of Brooklyn, and she's crying in his arms. Why do you think she's crying? That scene when she's walking back, that slow walk, it it wrecked me. Like I, I think I sent you a text, like the ending. Like I literally had tears coming down my face because it was so emotional. And I think from from what from watching that scene again and her crying in Arthur's arms, she's she's kind of grieving, she's grieving the loss of what that past life would have been. Right? She's she she had to leave her home country and she had to start a new life. And then Hesong comes back into it. But she's losing something. She's gaining something, but she's also losing something. She's cutting out What did you think? I thought she was cutting out the past life, but to me in the situation, which is going to be very different, I'm again more pragmatic. To me, or empathetic, I I just, I thought that was part of it. You're cutting out the past life. And as he always said, Heisung always said, you're you're the one that, uh, I can't remember the exact wording of this. Um, You're the one that always leaves. And he said that again. He said it like three times throughout the movie. And I felt that was very poignant, but lacking of understanding and lacking of self-awareness when saying it. If you know this is the one that leaves, do you think he, she's just gonna to get up and leave a marriage of almost you know that many years for you? Maybe, and that's why I think he took the chance, um, and that's why I think the, the romanticism of him in particular in this moment, to be honest, was a little ignorant. Um, but you got to even his even even his friends in Korea when they were drinking around the table would be like, "You're gonna go, you're gonna go to New York City for that girl." Yeah. Like they're kind of they're laughing at it. Whatever <laughs> you see the weather, it's gonna be rain and buckets. But it wasn't raining actually when he showed up, which I, I found interesting. But I, I think it was to answer the question directly. I think it was the the cutting out of the past life, uh, which is you know gone forever, or maybe not. You never know. But gone forever. But in the same sense, man, you you um, it is pretty romantic if if he were to think like this, ignorant or not, and he he has kept all that that many years and that's how significant you meant to him and you you're more or less breaking up with him for the second time and now forever so it's a uh, or third time i guess um in there but it, it, that that to me if it happened to me it would be more the situation of like this is a really nice person they're kind they are slightly askew in emotions that i'm i don't agree with could we have worked out? Certainly. We can always entertain this. But And that was his question. Like, what if? What if this is one of our past lives already? And you know, we're moving on. It's like, I don't know. And I was like, that's... He's like, he's like yeah. I don't care. Like, I'm not entertaining this. What are you talking about? That's what I got from that moment. Or I should say those words. Uh, but the, the words, the, the, the silence before just staring at each other was, yeah, definitely a wrecking of all capacity yeah it was tough um, did you watch this movie with with sonia or I did. by yourself yeah I watched it. did she did she like it she liked it a lot yeah 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 it was good um 
But getting to the main point of rating. We, we've got the ratings coming right now. It only took about see minutes. So while, simply put, I'm trying to think of a tagline, catchphrase, uh, quick sentence. While I agree that there was very good performances all around, which is going to be reflected in a directing and best performance score, I thought this movie never took step number two. I felt like it um, wasn't new. I didn't find it terribly interesting. I felt like Paul Giamatti crushed. And I think the characters themselves had great performances. The actors themselves had great performances. But I felt like, to be fair, I, I feel like nothing happened. There was no punchy lines. There was no punching anything. I didn't sit there and smile too often or laugh. And it took me a full week to get through. And it was hard. I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, d I didn't like it. Overall, I didn't like it. Um, the scores will reflect that. I just, I didn't, it didn't, didn't touch me. Paul, I love. It just was like, okay, and? And my best explanation of this is the storytelling of uh, Trey, Trey Parker and Matt Stone of how to tell a story. And I think in 99, they, they just showed up at NYU and was like, this is how you tell a story. Or this is how we tell stories. We have this, we have this, we have these markers just as you do. We have this board. And if you ever get to a point and you're trying to write and draft a screenplay or whatever it might be, story of any capacity, and you get to a point where it's just, and then you're in a horrible place. And I felt like this movie was just that until the very end where things changed, but not much of substance. And there wasn't that, but there wasn't that therefore there wasn't that, that growth. And even the ending, it was just like kind of lackluster in my view. I would rather, I don't know, Paul commits suicide at the end. I don't know. Like I could go for every other ending besides this. And I just was not, was not having it. So anyway, my, my performance, um, I didn't think there was very many quotes to like point to as well. The score annoyed me. There was the recorder throughout was like, this is an annoyance more than anything, which is vice versa. The, the wind chimes were emotive uh, in bringing out the feeling of, of past lives. But enough of me shitting on this, this movie. I did think the performances were great. All right, you got the performances. This movie to me felt like, like putting on a warm blanket. It's like, yeah, it's not going to do anything new. It's not going to be this, this, you know, crazy story that has you on the edge of your seat, but it just feels good. And that, that vibe, that vibe you don't get really in movies anymore. That's why this movie feels so nostalgic. And it's not like a, it's not like a dead poet society where the teacher is like rousing you up and getting you, getting you going. But it's like, I mean, it, like we said, it's a curmudgeon who has, who smells like rotten fish because of a, a certain, certain uh, condition that he has. I forget what it's called. Um, I, but yeah, this movie just hit those buttons for me in a way that I haven't felt in a movie in a long time. Trimethyl lamarinaria. <laughs> that. <laughs> Trimethyl mean he can't, uh, he can't break down. Um, do you think he would all and, the people, by the I, way? Like that? Now? What's that? Like, yeah, I just can't break this down. That's why I smell like fish. It seems, I don't know. Seems like if you're that objective and offering information up, you wouldn't be that much of a curmudgeon. But who am I to tell? 
the character. I thought the I thought the writing was fantastic. I literally did laugh out loud numerous times during this uh, this this film, and probably more so on the second viewing. Um, I know that you said that you had to break this movie up over the course of days. I think that might be a reason for your disdain for it. No. Like, give it a give it a shot. Give it a proper sit down, watch through, and just feel that warm blanket coming over. So I, I do um, agree that, that you definitely are are noticing something, but it's more of a warm, wet blanket that is over you. And I don't think you know exactly what is is in your house and what is in your cupboard and what is like actually being folded because you have just washed your blanket and it's nice and warm and then you're putting it on your face and you don't know it's wet without the dryer. That's what this is. I, I, I honestly, and it's not about, I've watched The Godfather, I don't know how many times. I've watched plenty of movies for the first time and piecemeal. And I, almost every single movie I do watch is piecemeal. Um, with that, I mean, even past lives, uh, you know, two one hour breaks. It just, I could not get interested in it. It's a story that's been told a thousand times. This curmudgeon teacher is infected by the student. Like, it's just like, okay. And then the, the score didn't resonate with me. And just the only thing that tied me back um, was that it was the performances of each of these characters. And I think, you know, I, there, there was just nothing of, there's nothing of substance really when it came, came down to it. And I want something more. And while past lives was just such a simple framework, things were happening on screen without even using words that, uh, was vastly different than, than the holdovers. But nonetheless, I gave the, the performance an 85. Because I thought that was very good. I I see that. I mean, I would I would definitely put the performance of the holdovers above past lives, just for the the the, the, the talent that they had to they had to work up with. I mean, past lives, like you said, is very simple, straightforward, but layers of depth and layers of emotion. Um, and they, they were great performances, but I just feel like, I mean, the holdovers just had, had, had better performances, better, yeah, better quotes. I agree. So what's your, what's your score? Let's hit it. Um, so my, mine, where were we at? Uh, holdovers quote or sorry, performance. Where am I at here? 95 best quote, 95, uh, best score 90. What's that? What, what's the quote? Oh gosh, um, I don't have that pulled up right in front of me here. Not that good for you, huh? I can tell you mine. Okay, go ahead. I mean the the two plants in a pot. That's, that's oh yeah, clear. And also, uh, I want to understand you when you're dreaming. That how can you get? I, I think that was mine. Mine too. Yeah, yeah. I did. Um, but it, yeah, if you're talking about the, huh? the history quote of like the history tells you that more about the present than it does about your past, it's not just a retelling of the past. I thought that was it was a good it was a good seventy score. I, th- <laughs> I think I think my favorite quote was when they were walking out outside of the liquor store, and he's basically like, "Why did you lie to 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 you know your old classmate?" And he's like, "He doesn't he doesn't get to I get to dictate my history, right? He doesn't get to know it. Um, he's not entitled to that." Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I felt I felt the emotion. I felt the leaves, even though the 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 holdovers, the the kind of the setup, the framing, the story was um, maybe kind of told before. I don't think it was ever told in this way. Like it wasn't schmaltzy. It wasn't it wasn't uh, 
what's the word for it? It, it lacks just, substance. It, <laughs> I think it had a lot of substance. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Editing. Editing, editing. Where am I at with this? 85. Okay. Mise on. You put 75. Uh, I got to pull this up here because I can't move it over. You can just go. I um, only have shared together. <laughs> That's so much easier. <laughs> like literally. 90. 90. Um, I don't know how to go to the chat, but let's see if this works. Why don't you just use it? 10% mise-en-scene, huh? Yeah. Oh, sorry. 70. Sorry, you gave it a 70. I thought you had to give it a 10. I'm reading that wrong. I, I, unless it's, I wouldn't give something a 10. 70 is like, no. you're, this is pretty much the lowest I'll go. Or 65. I lo I loved in the holdovers also like when he was handing out the 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 test grades like <laughs> what teacher gives an F plus yeah. <laughs> who does that All anyways right. directing. Um, uh, directing I gave an eighty five ninety five ninety five this is just outrageous I think you're just uh, your Paul uh, influence is too high uh, best Ember moment. I gave it 85. It was the them sharing the Cherry's Jubilee and what that meant outside on the car as it got set aflame. So the average score, you gave it a 92, which is higher than every movie we've we've rated so far. Mine is 76.5. And uh, the average is 84.25, which is um, not the best score that we've had yet, but we haven't done this for very often. So, all right, I'm going to go first. We'll go side by side. I'll make this simple. Past lives. Um, I, I gave it an 80. I didn't think the performances were as good as the holdovers, but I'm not objectifying the, uh, it's not like a vice versa for me. I'm just doing it on its own. So I, I gave it an 80. Um, okay. Could have been better. It wasn't a Paul Giamatti performance, but I thought it was pretty good. And especially moments in silence. I just think oof, that's tough to stuff to act or maybe I have no idea. And what'd you give it performance? Uh, performance. Let me pull that up. Just input the score, my friend. <laughs> uh, 85. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll, quote. Put, I'll put in the scores here. Uh, I like the, the, the dreaming quote. Um, I put that as a 90. Okay. Best score. Uh, score 85. I love it. I liked it. It was it was subtle, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, it, it it didn't it didn't overtake the movie. There was, you know what I mean? There was a variety of uh, musical instruments used actually throughout. Uh, best editing. I really liked it when uh, Celine would cut to clips of her her past life as a child, and the the two of them playing. Like I thought that was a really nice touch. I gave the editing at eighty five. Okay. I gave it an 80. Um, best score, I gave it a 90. I just, I really like the music a lot. Um, best mise-en-scene? Uh, I really like the mise-en-scene. Uh, if you notice, like when they're out in, you know, kind of walking around New York and the harbor and everything like that, everybody in the frame, even in the, in the, in the subway, like they're all couples. Some of them are making out, some of them are holding hands, all different ages and things like It's like, I mean, it was, it was perfect. I gave it a 90. 
Directing, I gave a 90. I mean, maybe this is being influenced by the directorial debut, but I really like long shots. I'm a huge Tarkovsky fan. So anytime you get emotion sat with um, lack of music or adding music, I, I kind of can go both ways. But I'm just thinking of Stalker and like there's like a six minute scene where there's just there's nothing. It's just like going through a car. Those There were moments of this yeah. movie that I just felt like it was it was super, super cool. And ones where the scenes I just love because I like things to play out now. And it's kind of the inverse of uh, across the spider verse where when things get too chaotic and too finicky, it's like, okay, this is, this is a lot, you know, Michael Mann flicks are like a uh, Ridley Scott. Um, sometimes are just, it's just nonsense, but nonetheless directing, I give 90. Dur- Directing, I gave the same score, 90. I thought the choices that she made um, with, like you said, the long camera, uh, the holds, just even the, the 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 guts, the balls to have that final scene where they're just staring at each other for a solid, it seems like an eternity. Yeah. Like I, that 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 takes guts to, to trust that the story that you're telling on the screen is going to affect the viewer as emotionally as it did. Agreed. Uh, best Emma moment I, I gave a 95 I just there were so many throughout I just you know I'm not giving a hundred but it was just uh, do you have do you have an Ember moment that you want to pick out I mean I've already I've already said all of them um, but to me that the, they kind of go hand in hand with the quotes those those quotations um, yeah where it's like the moment like when they're they're snuggling cuddling and it's just like the representation of our current love and also what we hope to be our future love. And then it's like the, the transition of, well, how do, we, how do we take the next step? Well, maybe you can learn Korean, buddy. Maybe that's going to get you closer to your spouse. <laughs> you could do that. That's step one. Uh, that could be good. Yeah. You like Yuki Jung? Great. Now learn Korean. If you want to learn her and what her dreams are like. And I, I think that was a, a very fiery moment. Yeah. I, I still... I feel like it's one of the the best opening scenes I've seen in a movie, but you have to kind of have it on that second viewing of knowing what's kind of going on and what's going to happen. Yeah, I agree uh, there. I definitely agree. Yeah. But, yeah. Because I didn't notice it on the first viewing. I was just like, okay. like I, Because I don't know the characters. Oh, did you? Oh, you didn't watch the trailer beforehand then? I didn't know. Oh, so I watched I watched the trailers for all of these. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, like nothing but trouble this, but I watched the trailer. I knew, I knew who they were. Um, gotcha. Maybe I should stop that, but I had to pick something. I'm waiting on you. Oh, it's a ninety. It it appears past lives probably primarily because I just didn't like holdovers. Uh, Eighty-seven point five versus an eighty-four point two five collectively. Okay. 92 though for your rating is high. high. I loved it. It's the highest, I, it's the highest like, rated movie we've had so far. And I rated mine. Uh, I rated, I rated, you rated Past Lives 87.5. I gave 76.5 for the holdovers and 87.5. So we, we did uh, Past Lives identically. Look at that. Okay. Uh, I just, I didn't like, I didn't like the holdovers. You didn't like, I can't believe that. Um, I can't believe that. You know what? I just think that the the writing just didn't take any chances, or didn't take many chances, and I, 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 it's evident in that. At least for me, dude, I shouldn't hate me. Just you know, 
Well, I guess it kind of goes back to when the, before the movie was actually going to be a movie with Alexander Payne, the writer pitched it as a uh, pilot for, for a, for a TV show. And I think I guess actually for a TV show, I could see, I think it'd be good. Yeah. I think it would be better because you need, Like a eight, eight, eight episode hour long. Yeah. I think it or it could even be half hour, better. I feel like. But why don't we, by the way, transition and, uh, you know, this this was fun. I, what do you think is actually going to win, though? Like, actually win, not just with desires. Um, so I've seen, I've seen Oppenheimer twice now. Um, and I've seen Killers of the Flower Moon twice, both over three hours of my life, each, each viewing. Um, and I think those are the two front runners. Of course. I love to see, I love to see Marty win, but I think what you're asking, what do I think will win or what I want to win? What do you think will win? I think Oppenheimer will win. That's my prediction. Me too. And I think uh, Killian's going to win as well. You think Killian's going to win? Did you, did you see, uh, where Paul Giamatti went after he won his golden globe for, uh, the holdovers? No, I didn't see his, his speech. He was in a he was in a full tux in a full restaurant at In and Out, <laughs> eating a cheeseburger. Sounds like sideways. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that. I um. But yeah, yeah. Good luck to all all involved. I I think Oppenheimer is going to just destroy, like pretty much just yeah. get all of the awards. Did you like Oppenheimer? Yeah, I really enjoyed Oppenheimer. I I watched. Uh, I watched it in its entirety. <laughs> oh wow! Straight through. If I like something, I will, um, as you say, I, I will go full in, and I will, no matter what, I will watch it. But you know, if not, don't, if I'm disinterested, you don't, you don't really get me too much. Uh, okay. But yeah, I think Oppenheimer is going to crush. I don't think uh, it's either that or Killers that that's going to get Best Picture. There's, I don't think there's any other option. Although, you know, Parasite winning was in 2019, was massive. I thought Paras- Parasite's a better movie than both Holdovers and Past Lives. And well, Past Lives and Holdovers are also in another category competing against each other in Best Original Screenplay. Mm. So I wonder which one's going to win and duke it out I'd there. I'd have to read the screenplay. <laughs> Get on that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't read screenplays. I've got a, I, I literally have to go run. Um, so there's that. But until next week when we discuss, would you like to, to go into what we're we're doing, we're doing, we're going all out. We're doing '90s Nick Cage, so get ready for that. Uh, I'm going to be doing The Rock. And what do you have? Con Air, baby. There's only two that you could choose here: Con Air versus The Rock. The Rock. I wanted The Rock too. I'll take Con Air. That's what you got to do. Goodbye. Next week, our work.